Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the Roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of SDG Talks. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Eva Carlson from Houdini Sportswear over in Stockholm in Sweden. And we are really delving into how she has been for many years now working to create this business, which is completely uncompromising uh, on its climate and sustainability metrics. And they really have done and gone to extreme lengths to make sure that everything they do is ethical and sustainable and really just uh, positioned a a business case um, that doesn't have to maximise profit and growth, but puts other metrics ahead of that. Uh, like the planet for one which we all live on so amazing to speak to Eva and I really think you should go and check out what they're up to awesome well Eva thank you very much for coming on to the SDG Talks podcast today it's great to have you on here Um, and you represent a an outdoors sportswear brand Houdini which are they're pioneering the outdoor clothing space and and I actually got in contact with you because I saw something amazing on LinkedIn about your new project Mono Air, uh, which is all about the creation of a fleece jacket, which is fully recyclable, um, massively reduces microplastic shedding. And I think most importantly, with a design that you have now released for free as open access for other potential competitors or brands in the space, um, to also be able to implement more sustainable practices. And when I saw this on LinkedIn, I just thought that this was unbelievable fantastic maybe you could say stereotypically Swedish (laughs) but I think it's extremely forward-thinking and um, you're really really great to be able to speak to you about this and about Houdini and just maybe to give the the viewers some some more understanding I thought we could start off with um, the story behind Houdini how did it come to be and what what is the business really aiming to achieve yeah, well, thanks first of all for, to, for inviting me. And um, let me see, I've been around now f- working uh, at Houdini for 20 years, so I'll have to think back. But um, when, I mean, we're an outdoor brand and we're people who just love being in the outdoors. So when we started looking into this project, Houdini, um, in the early 2000s, 2001 actually it was it was a given to us already then everybody knew in the apparel industry how how extremely polluting it is i mean and how little thinking goes into understanding how to design a system and how to design products to not uh, create something massive and wasteful and we everybody knew that so we decided that either we build this company to become part of the solution and um, in a more holistic sense than just creating uh, recyclable products and then um, and not compromise with that really Uh, either we do it that way or or not at all Uh, so that's how it started Mm. time ago (laughs) (laughs) 20 years that's a and, and it's been quite a journey then have you have you seen big changes in the in the business or 
the brand over those 20 years? How has that journey been? Yeah, it's been, uh, I, I can say that for anybody who's curious and interested in taking this route with their company or their startup or transforming maybe a huge company into something different, more future fit, uh, I think I can easily say it's been the adventure of a lifetime. And I think that uh, if you if we stop and reflect for a little while, we we will realize that this is absolutely the adventure that we need to take, and we need to embrace it fully. And that means we have to kind of, I think, not only look at it as a, something we need to do but don't feel like doing, but really find the ways to make it, you know, a passion, mm. where you have a, a vision in front of you which is really um, attractive and. Uh, engaging not only for the ceo but for everyone <laughs> customers suppliers us of course and shareholders and other stakeholders mm -hmm. so the adventure of a lifetime i truly think that's how i um, that's i think it's that's that's the way we've managed so well mm -hmm. i think why there are so many people that want to work with us and collaborate with us and i also think that's how we ended up becoming really successful although we don't spend more or less anything on on advertising or marketing mm -hmm. and over the course of this this journey then you've you've now reached this point where you can create something like this mono air project um that you believe is worthy of sharing with others and it's not just something for your business to benefit from but you can really get the feeling and the sense that you're trying to make a contribution towards you know, the planet's uh, future goals and the planet's sustainable development. And how did you uh, reach this point where you thought, okay, we've made this new product, which has taken us a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's doing a much better on the environmental ratings than we've had before. Now let's share it with everybody. Mm. Well, I, I mean, the the basic philosophy that we have is designing for circularity. And, and, and if you look at uh, nature as the blueprint for a circular system and nature, we know it's super complex mm -hmm. and still perfectly functioning. Um, so what happens in nature? What are the flows and what are the secrets that we can mimic in our way of building a company or, or a society or whatever, a local community, anything really? It's For us, it was... Um, interesting to see how how can we create then a flow of natural resources that don't go in the linear fashion from extracting using for a short period of time and then ending up as waste mm -hmm. that is what i mean how, how can we create that flow of resources where everything becomes and stays a resource and maybe shifts from um group to group or species to species and it becomes what what to me, waste becomes a resource for something else. Mm. So that, and then there's also in our way of thinking a product flow that we can create with circular business models and so forth. But then there's another flow I think that is super essential actually for a circular system to to manage and evolve, and that is a flow of information and sharing of knowledge and insights and uh, ideas. And that is that is why I think. For us, open source has been a given, and, and we've been collaborating forever. And uh, and when we now uh, figured this beautiful product out, and we can also see that there's 
huge in com compared to only two years ago there's huge interest out there mm. to to do these things and we've been practicing for so long and it's tough to navigate these complex systems and understand where to start and where to you know go from there so it, it was really a, a perfect time for us to be, become mm -hmm. more clear about our uh, our willingness to to share mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also uh, i think with covid maybe that uh, there's there's a little more, a slightly more time and organizations to reflect and, uh, and there's a there's a pause kind of uh, in uh, in everything in society right now. So there's mm -hmm. there's time for re reflection and there's time to potentially you know evolve into in a new direction. So I think that's why it felt very very important to to embrace this time and and hopefully share our knowledge with so many more. I mean, Houdini is a an outdoor brand. And we're a niche player in the art uh, in the outdoor industry, and we really don't intend to become anything else than that. So, in order to have a, a massive effect or some kind of effect outside of our own sphere, we really need to share and create ripples. You know, mm. why we I can't find a, another better way than sharing all these uh, things with our colleagues in the business and. And uh, the reward is, of course, not only to share ours, but also get insights and ideas and knowledge from other places and other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. And and I think that must it must have been a big part of it. I mean, getting to where you are now was taking insights and knowledge from others. I mean, the team, your team, I can't even picture what different types of people you must have playing roles here to to bring in all of these ideas and to to, yeah, to architect the whole thing. What kind of people have you been working with to, to reach this point? Uh, well, first of all, we're um, a brilliant team. And um, and I think there's there's curiosity among all of us, uh, always wanting to know more and understand things that we don't re yet understand. And then there's, um, I mean, we have to be kind of uh, courageous or whatever I should use as an expression. Mm -hmm. uh, and feeling comfortable in moving our, in our own direction, whether that's conventional or not. Um, and then I guess also being not, I don't know, maybe that's a, relentless. Is that, is that even a, yeah. not willing to compromise? Yeah. I, you know, yeah keeping that kind of idealist uh, view of where we want to go. And then, yes, there are going to be difficulties on the way, but we're, mm. we we're right. And we live all over time and know even more things, but we know that where we're heading is kind of uh, the right way to go. And, and like you said earlier on, on making, not making compromises. And not making compromises, reimagining everything. And so aesthetics, functionality, Sustainability, yeah. the, the bar is set and yeah. we're going to make it. Partnerships, uh, long-term relationships in business, why not? I mean, and mm. I think one of the things that I found, and I, I'm not saying that that was part of the strategy, but looking back, I realized that we really have our like individual uh, values and embracing what what me what is important for me as a mother or for somebody else as a 
a friend or a neighbor and bringing that into business mm-hmm. not not allowing ourselves to you know not see the living system that we're part of just because we're staring into an excel sheet and metrics but rather mm-hmm. beyond the metrics and and the corporate culture and yeah. you know I, I completely get that and with the emotional I think mm. that makes it of course much more um, joyful to yeah. do what you're doing uh, not only struggle but a, a joyful struggle mm. yeah it sounds it sounds a lot about like bringing more empathy into business and people being yeah, more open and thereby e- easier to trust people and to build high-performing teams when everyone is open and trustworthy and I think it kind of harks back to something what you were saying before about this change we're seeing in the global world and everyone's working from home. Sometimes there's babies and toddlers like crawling across the screen. <laughs> People who who would otherwise be very, this is my work f- frame of mind and then I have my home frame of mind. Now that that's becoming quite blurred, everyone seems a bit more relaxed and you open up with people a bit more and but exactly that I, I feel like there's more empathy trickling into to everyone's lives and, and and into yeah their professional lives as well it's not just just what's happening on at home and it kind of leads me into something I'd be interested to hear I mean earlier you mentioned um stakeholders and shareholders in company how has that relationship been for Houdini and how have you been able to maintain a, a culture um like the one you described given the kind of framework of the society we find ourselves in and uh, quite often the push for profit and and bottom line. Yeah, well, I think uh, the first and most important thing for us, the way that we have had a collective of owners, we're privately owned and we have uh, more or less the same ambitions with the company and we have a set of values that we share um, and uh, maybe we've all had to practice about this uncompromising uh, approach to because uh, when you're into any corporate culture I think there's mm. there are so many things that are conventional today like taking a shortcut when there is one for a short-term uh, positive effect maybe you don't even know or stop to think about the long-term effects but Mm. we're so keen on taking those shortcuts and we're so keen on compromising just a little here or there or not even looking at looking beyond the excel sheet so for sure practice and and this co-evolving kind of but but to be privately owned and having an owner collective that share our thinking and then expanding from there into an ecosystem where we have all kinds of partners that share our vision. And if they don't do it from the start, we have a process of you know, mm. getting people on board on our way of thinking in terms yeah. of their design or uh, building trust uh, or anything else that we're passionate about. Mm, like capacity building. I, I think that's really, really unique then that you've got the the ownership uh, all on the on the same page and all in agreement there and it makes it a lot easier to to drive that vision in one direction and to not pivot um and what i'm yeah kind of interested about then is is how you've um how you've been working with these partners what kind of partners when you when you say these long-term partnerships um 
are these yeah, retailers or are these something completely out of the box? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, there's we are we're trying to create our own ecosystem, but we're also part of a, an extended one that is society, and and that means stakeholders is everyone. The planet is for sure one of our stakeholders, and there's so much in those ecosystem services, uh, clean air, fresh water, and everything else that makes life possible, makes business possible, but also makes life worth living. So, mm. so have so much to thank for that system that sometimes we forget about in the daily business. I mean, today in the Western world, at least we take it for granted. But uh, but then it goes into every direction. I mean, our bank is a stakeholder, of course, our shareholders, of course, our customers and end users are, whether they have bought something a long, long time ago or now. Close by suppliers for sure a stakeholder, but it goes all the way back to the farm where the sheep has been, sheep have been grazing. So mm. it's really expanding our thought also there. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. so Maximal impact. Much more. I mean, we are holistic in the way we look at things, and mm -hmm. and that sounds complex and more or less maybe impossible. But then again, we. We've chosen our way of doing that. We, we work with very few suppliers compared to many outdoor companies because we want to build genuine long-term relations with all of them. And we, we cannot only we cannot do that if we have thousands. We need to do it with few and and co-evolve with them mm. and learn from each other and build trust and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, move forward. I know it sounds like you're at a sort of lighthouse stage where you're quite happy to share these learnings to potential followers and and to ripple that out yeah so are there any anything any milestones that you've been really proud of or any yeah, tangible practices that you've said wow we've really changed the game here or we've we've, we've been able to um yeah, flip this on its head and it could be with your yeah I, I was reading about your rental and subscription models for clothing which I think is extremely unique or it could be something to do with your suppliers and where you source your materials. Um. Yes, well, um, when, when we started out in 2001 and, and decided that we wanted to go circular and waste-free rather than being part of this wasteful uh, way of doing business, and uh, it took several years for us to even find the first partnership in, all, in order to actually um, create a circular product, meaning it was made from waste, look upon as waste, and designing in, in a way that it's pure enough to go back into the loop again and again, so staying a resource. Uh, and then, uh, so I, back then we were proud about that. Uh, and then we've scaled from only having that in one product group to now being 80% um, circular, meaning that we have, you know, shell layers, technical shell layers that are sometimes, I mean, you wouldn't even want to look into the chemicals and membranes and stuff that goes into a shell layer. Mm. Uh, but, but we make them pure enough so that they're more recyclable at the level of a pet bottle. Still mm. perfectly functioning, I mean, really, really high level performance but and it's um, I guess something we've also had to to um, not learn ourselves but to 
to inspire our uh, innovation partners that we shouldn't be, we should never look at a sustainability innovation and start compromising with performance or compromising with quality or aesthetics, but rather look beyond uh, what's there currently on the market and and just dream of the, what is the perfect, perfect solution and then head for that. And I, I truly can say that we have managed to do that every time. There's no way we've had to compromise anywhere when transitioning from linear to circular. Mm. So, um, getting all these partners along on the journey is also something I'm proud of. And then, can I share one more thing? Yeah, please, the more the merrier. <laughs> uh, one, uh, one of those small but long adventures that we had, we decided that we wanted to add wool into our line. And of mm. course, that's uh, pretty normal among outdoor brands to have merino wool base layers and so forth. Uh, and we'll, we, I, I, I must say that uh, I thought we could do it in the normal cycle. Within a year, we would have a wool base layer in our collection. But looking into, and I think this is our way of working, to zoom in and zoom out, to, to take the systems perspective, but also go down to you know the fiber level and technology level. Mm. And we realized doing this practice that there were so many design flaws in the wool value chain that that we could fix. We had to fix them, but we, we also realized that there, there was alternatives all around. Uh, so, but it took a few years. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it eventually took more, actually four years before we could have a product on the market. But by then, that product was so pure that, first of all, it performed super well, better than the alternatives where you put a lot of plastic or synthetic polymers in the mix. Mm-hmm. So a great product that lasts long, but at the end of the day, when it's worn out, you could compost it and it would become nutrients in the soil and nothing else. So uh, celebrating that, we we composted some base layers that were worn out, grew some vegetables and had a fine back <laughs> menu, uh, chef do a oh, menu. That's really cool. For our customers. Did you, what were your plates? Was it like uh, wind, wind, windbreaker jackets and other things? <laughs> so you, could, you could munch on a scarf. Uh, yeah. really. So that's also a milestone. Now we have a lot of milestones ahead of us as well. We aim to be 100% circular in terms of products. Mm. 2022, so that's only a couple of years from now. Not even that. I like it. Who needs the 2030 agenda? 2022, that's the year. 2030 agenda. (laughs) For 2030, we aim to have a circular ecosystem, meaning no waste streams anywhere. Of course, fossil-free in terms of energy sources. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of work, but it's also fun. No, I really, I really like it. And uh, what you were saying there about um, yeah, the chemicals and all the all the different things that go into some of these materials and the impact that it can have on our ecosystems, our environments is massive. I mean, me living up here in Oban, Scotland, we have uh, we have resident killer whales. Uh, there was eight, but that's the eighth or one one of them died uh, not too not too long ago. And in the blubber, they found uh, PCBs which is a chemical compound. It's mostly found in sort of computers, but it's across a wide range of things. And it was 100 times the, the safe level. Mm. And of course, something like that, it, or any sort of chemical that seeps into an ecosystem, be it down the toilet or in the washing machine, yeah. and small animals eat it, bacteria eat it, whatever, and it bioaccumulates up the food chain. Yeah. And then you have these animals at the top that just have complete saturation of this stuff. And it's, yeah. it is horrible. And 
it's like you said, it's these short-term opportunities in business and in systems and taking shortcuts and not thinking that, oh, actually, now we have these eight killer whales that are functionally extinct. Yeah. Um, and they, they haven't had a calf in 20 years and they think it's primarily down to this toxicity of the water, which we wouldn't even know if you go out to the water and it's just the way that our system and society has been built up and it's really horrible. Yeah. And I think a big shortcut for people has has often been been cost and pricing um, and people people look at something cheap and they think, oh, I'll just grab that. That's that's fine. That only costs me 10 pounds or 80 kroner um, or whatever. But then three months later, it's got four or five rips in it and they have to get another one. And uh, I'm kind of wondering what is the approach uh, with, with pricing at Houdini and do you how, how do you think that that weighs up against all of the other things that you're doing in terms of aesthetics and functionality and um, yeah, how does pricing play into your into your general business? Well, to from like uh, the financial system that we're part of and uh, the, the legal system, there's a lot of things that are designed also. Um, I mean, in a poor way, considering we are. And I'm not putting any blame on anyone. Uh, this has been the case because we were a small world on a large planet, and now we're mm. the a huge mm. world on a very small planet and uh, the scarcity of resources and the impacts of the pollutants that we've um, let trickle out in nature have accumulated and now they have a massive effect. So, um, but there's opportunity to design, redesign everything uh, and we can do some within our ecosystem and some, uh, some other things we can do with partners. But then, I mean, the financial system in itself uh, it would be good with some redesigning there, <laughs> because of course, they realize that crude oil, that where you pump oil, maybe even in the Arctic, and you, um, and with the value chain after that, uh, with lots of chemical processes and so forth, you have virgin polyester, uh, and that is way cheaper than using worn out uh, synthetic garments uh, or anything else that is post-consumer polyester and making it into a new polymer. That is only part of the complicated process that you have to take on if you pump up crude oil. Still, the, the price level of virgin is much lower. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Uh, somebody's not paying or a lot of people are not paying and others have to pay or uh, it, it's I think, society uh, pays, the environment pays, we all yeah, pay, right? And so things are, are uh, invisible completely. Mm. And, and of course, uh, if that changed, we would have such a rapid transformation because it wouldn't make financial sense to continue with this wasteful way of uh, using resources. But that's, uh, I mean, that's so far away and beyond us, and we're trying to do everything we can together with others to to inspire change there. But, uh, but I think we've taken another approach uh, in our daily operations, and that is looking at value creation in a much broader perspective than only monetary. I mean, there's, there's value creation that we understand, our shareholders can understand, and our customers can understand. It doesn't have to be cheap in terms of how much you pay upfront when you buy something. You might actually do a smarter thing by investing in something that is 
more expensive at the start, but you end up using for years and years and years. You know, so so there's uh, and uh, and have experiences that are beyond a normal average product. Uh, you know, so there's uh, our our approach has been to create value at a, in a much more holistic way, and then uh, we accept and embrace even that material resources they are expensive mm -hmm. and if you take into ethical aspects and social aspects we should pay and we should be happy to pay so that others can have a salary uh, mm. back to that excel sheet of course you can push down a price uh, and not knowing where the compromises will and for sure realize that there will be compromises somewhere else along the line backwards in the value so uh, having a higher profit uh, now is at the expense of others, be it ecosystems or people or um, Absolutely. Yeah. And who wants that? No, exactly. And I, and I think that's just that there's not enough transparency and awareness. And I was actually uh, speaking to someone recently about just clothing. It was just if you go to high street and you buy a top, a cotton top, it's like 10 pounds or something that less than a quarter of a pound goes to the, the cotton farmer or the, the person who's created that material. And that yeah, if people were, were aware of that and if we were willing to, to include these considerations in the process, um, that maybe we could create a fairer system. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that things like carbon pricing, I mean, that's one aspect of you know, climate change is, is one thing and then local and, or national environmental protection is another. But hopefully we're gonna see carbon pricing is going to start increasing a lot and carbon will become a lot more valuable yeah. and we'll see the innovation that can drive down um, yeah, these carbon heavy industries and, and processes. And I hope it goes the same for environmental things as well. You know, use of water, that's enormous. Yeah. Something people don't really think about or account for. Um, but so much of our society is hinged on these depleting groundwater systems and, and rivers that yeah, could very quickly dry up in, in a short space of time. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know it because I know that there's an organization in uh, they're actually in Norway and they collect marine plastic and repurpose it and sell it on to other companies to use. And that that thought of it's great for us to become more sustainable and pollute less. But I'm wondering if Houdini has tried to play any role in the reclamation of um, pollution or in yeah, the not just the mitigation of pollution, but but um, actually trying to take things back out of the natural environment pollutants. Uh, and this could be very forward thinking, but it's uh, just something I was curious about. Yeah, it, it's a very good question. And that it, it, there's there's a few challenges for us. Um, one thing we, we. If you take synthetics, synthetic polymers and bring them back to the polymer state, I mean, you can, in a chemical process, you, you can actually take away uh, potential pollutants, but, you, but we need to know what's in there. So our current way of doing it is, is using um, the worn out textiles where, where we know what's in them. Mm. Uh, and it could also be pet bottles, but of course, the, at the end of the day, it, it's textiles that need to be 
recycled, not not single-use plastics, um, because that's probably something that we should be eliminating quite fast. But anyways, knowing what goes into the circular system is really important, and that's why we're working so closely with our suppliers and uh, technology providers to make sure that we only use chemistry that belongs in a circular system. Mm. But on the other, I mean, adding to that, uh, there is so much waste in the world that needs to be converted into a resource. And by doing so, we can eliminate the need of taking stuff from the Earth's crust. Mm. And that, of, of course, has to be everyone's ambition. Uh, we have this, you know, paradise on Earth, uh, potentially, um, where we're now, like, consuming, step by step, we're just consuming ecosystems and fresh water and so forth. And... Uh, yeah, just just the mindset of wanting to eliminate that type of consumption and protect all that is so beautiful in life. Uh, that means we have to find these technologies to convert waste to resource. And then we, I mean, parallel to that, there's of course already waste out there in the planet that we need to take care of. But the thing that I'm most frustrated with now is that so many are continuing to design in a linear fashion, meaning that mm. we're discontinuing to create new waste. Piling it up, yeah. Yeah, in an ever increasing, at an ever increasing rate as well. When there are design um, policies or design philosophies and design principles for circular design that we can all apply, mm. that doesn't cost anything, more or less. It just, it, it requires our time and knowledge. That is mm. it. And of course, uh, I think that's, that's really important. So a combination yeah. of all. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> in, but we have to take this uh, systemic approach and and then make sure that we use uh, plastic from the ocean, for instance. We mm. we now look at how how to eliminate our um, contribution to plastics in the ocean. Uh, but a second step will for sure be to also look at uh, how we can add more what else would others would call waste and mm -hmm. put that into our um, supply chain. Mm. And Houdini can become an environmental sink or carbon sink, yes. taking on the load of all the others. Yeah, that is, I mean, uh, there's a lot of talk now about uh, fantastic initiatives that we're also part of. So I, I, uh, no crit critique, it's really positive, but you know, the race to zero and the SPs mm. and looking at eliminating or reducing our negative impact. But I think uh, in terms of mindset to have this passionate way of working, I also think that it's really important for us to envision where, we're, where we are going. And that doesn't stop at zero, you know. Uh, mm. It has to go towards regenerative, where we're actually restoring it and uh, strengthening uh, the beauty of life and nature out there. Uh, and that is for sure possible. It's, I think it's a, more of a mindset uh, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. aspire for something, raising the bar for business and innovation and so forth. Why would the technology have to be designed so that it pollutes? Mm -hmm. We can have technology and nature working in partnership. And uh, yeah, so that's, that type of just mindset, I think, can change a lot, which is what, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully looking at exponential change in the right direction. Right? Yes, let's, let's see. Uh, you, you mentioned there, um, was it ways to zero and of course the sustainable development goals and 
how do you use these frameworks in, in any way when you consult uh, with, the, in, with the business and any aspect of the business? Does it, um, how does it play a role? Yeah, I can, we, we, when we started out, we were, we started out working at, uh, working together with earth system scientists at the Stockholm Resilience Center and right. here in Stockholm. And the reason for that was to understand uh, um, where our biggest impact, where we should put our biggest efforts in, in trans transforming or changing or um, so forth. And, and that ended up being fiber. Uh, the, the fiber source was really, really important for us to look into. And along the way, uh, then we, I mean, there are some, thing, some things that we already in 2001 decided upon, and that is based on common sense. If we can use waste and make that into a resource instead of using virgin resource, that's a given. Uh, of course, we can do that. But then nowadays, we have much more complex challenges or select um, choices to make, moving from Recycled plastics to bio-based plastics, is that, that, is that even um, a relevant alternative for us to consider? And then we need to hold hands with Earth system scientists to understand the true and holistic impact on biodiversity, land, ocean, mm. and so forth. Uh, so that meant we decided, uh, we started working with a planetary boundaries framework yep. in 2015. Um, and then we added the, the Oxfam donut or the donut economics framework. Mm -hmm. And I think when I look at the SDGs, which of course is um, also a framework that we use today, there's a lot of things that um, from the planetary boundaries framework and from donut on economics that have uh, been combined in the SDG. Mm -hmm. um, so, those are the frameworks we uh, we follow the most closely, and, and having a science-based framework in general is mm -hmm. extremely important, so that we don't think that we're doing the right thing and actually end up worsening things or just moving a problem from one area to another. Mm. I can really see why then this has been, as you described at the start, exciting and an adventure when you're able to go to the Stockholm Resilience Centre and actually speak to scientists and, um, and and get perspectives outside of the usual uh, the usual run of the mill. Yeah, it, it is um, luxury. Yeah, <laughs> something yeah. really really cool. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's been really great to hear a lot about yeah the, the company and and for anyone else who's listening in, there's plenty more that you can see on your website. I found it really informative. Um, and like you said, you're very you're very active on your partnerships and through checking you out, I also have seen more about the donut economy and things that are happening in Amsterdam. And then it's just this whole space that just explodes out. Yeah. Um, so I could definitely recommend yeah, anyone listening to to check that out. But otherwise, Eva, I just wanted to say yeah, thank you very much for coming on and and for speaking all about what you do. Uh, we really appreciate the work that you're doing at Houdini. And, um, and yeah, let's keep working towards a sustainable future for everyone. And thanks, likewise. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of SDG Talks is to bring you value. 
So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.